Sentire Media. Hello you. This is a history of Italy. Episode 112, Queen Joanna of Naples. Before we start, a word from our sponsor. Today's podcast is presented by those great people at Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo and you always get it very, very quickly, I might add. Apply today to become a member and immediately get connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. And be sure to say that A History of Italy sent you in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application, and thanks for those who have already done so. In the last regular episode, we saw the rise to the throne of Joanna of Naples, granddaughter of King Robert of Naples, of the important European family of the Anjou. In leaving the kingdom to Joanna, he had displeased another branch of the Angevin family, the rulers of Hungary. King Robert had tried to appease them by arranging a marriage between his granddaughter and the younger brother of King Louis of Hungary, Andrew. The rather unpleasant and unfriendly Hungarian, not that Hungarians in general are, just this one in particular, was a bad match for the joyful, passionate Joanna. And when Andrew's political ambitions to be crowned king in his own right started to get in the way, he was murdered. His brother, King Louis of Hungary, laid the blame squarely on the shoulders of the young widowed queen, and he started plotting his revenge. At the same time, Joanna faced a complicated situation at home, with various claimants to the throne popping up left, right and centre, and the barons of the kingdom, who had been part of the Regency Council, still rather miffed at having to give up the lands they had controlled in that role. The city of Naples was also buzzing, with disease running rampant and hunger among the people. Also, there was the suspicion that all those guilty of the murder of the Queen's consort had not been brought to justice, and many fingers were pointed at the Queen herself. The first signs of rebellion started to brew. Despite all this, the Queen managed to keep things in check with a very elaborate bureaucracy which had been put in place in the kingdom. Two years after the death of her first husband, she got married again to Luigi of Taranto, whom 
she married on the 20th of August, 1347. Sadly, this was also not a happy marriage, and once again, the husband was only interested in obtaining the crown for himself. Joanna refused his ambitions and consoled herself with her lover, Erichetto Caracciolo. In any case, three months after the wedding, Joanna was pregnant again. Meanwhile, Louis of Hungary was ready to march on Naples. The Queen knew that she could not withstand the army of Hungary and did not want to be responsible for the bloodshed of so many of her subjects. She left Naples, making the very painful decision to leave her young son behind and try to appease Louis, who would now control the heir to the throne and his murdered brother's son. She left Naples by ship for her ancestral holdings in Provence. She left with her lover, while her husband joined them later. While she was there, she had to go through the ordeal of facing Pope Clement, who had her put on trial for adultery and murder and found her not guilty. This may very likely have a lot to do with the fact that he also asked her to sell him Avignon. As far as her husband, Luigi of Taranto, was concerned, he was buzzing in the Pope's ear about getting permission to be king, which the Pope granted, although the whole thing would then have to be made official, and that was up to Joanna. Meanwhile, back in Naples, Joanna received help from an unexpected ally, a rather unpleasant one. Indeed, 1347 and 1348 were the years in which the Black Death held Europe in its deadly grasp, and Naples was particularly hard hit. If you will allow me a digression for the Italian literature lovers, Florence was also hit very hard during the plague, and this event was the inspiration for Boccaccio to write his Decameron. Anyway, Louis of Hungary took one look at the plague-ridden bodies piling up in the streets of Naples and legged it back home, leaving a contingent of soldiers. Joanna managed to convince her crown-loving husband to actually do something and engage with the remaining Hungarian troops, and after some skirmishes, a peace agreement was reached. Although he aspired to be king, Luigi of Taranto showed he did not have what it took to be one. He even managed to botch a golden opportunity to reunite the kingdom of Naples with the kingdom of Sicily, when the Neapolitans were called in to intervene in a succession crisis and subsequent struggle between rival families in Sicily. At first, things went quite well, and Joanna and Luigi even spent Christmas in 1350 in Palermo. But then things all went south. Their private life was no better with reported verbal and physical abuse by Luigi on the Queen. She, in turn, may have sought consolation with a knight by the name of Niccolò Capece, a painter by the name of Roberto Odorizio, Filippo of Taranto, and Giacomo 
Arcucci, Lord of Capri. It all came to an end in 1362 when Luigi died and, at the age of 36, Joanna was once again free to be queen in her own right. She was quoted as saying, Now I am in charge. Times have changed for me and they will also change for the Neapolitans. Unfortunately, this was not to be in a time when a woman ruling alone was frowned upon at best. Proposals flooded in, some rather interesting, for example from the Visconti in Milan and even from the son of the King of France, but she was having none of it. She was done with boring, rubbish husbands who were only interested in the crown. Enough was enough. She wanted a hottie, a stud, a toy boy, a real man. The choice, therefore, fell on James of Majorca, a handsome, brave and graceful young man who was around ten years younger than the Queen. He arrived in Naples in 1363. When Joanna saw him, she rushed up to him and kissed him passionately to the cheers of the gathered crowd. It really seemed like a new age could be dawning. On their wedding night, they took to their bedroom and then proceeded to spend eight straight days there. Good job, Joanna and James. It finally looked like the Queen had the hubby she desired. Only he turned out to be a total nut job. He would wake up in the middle of night and brandish his sword, threatening those around him, including poor Joanna. It got to the point in which she had to sleep with armed guards in her room. Luckily, this problem also sorted itself out, more or less. You see, in 1366, James decided he was off in search of adventures and battles, and Joanna let him go very happily. This was an even better situation in reality than being a widow, because she did actually have a husband, so she didn't have to fend off all of the suitors. At the same time, the solution presented financial problems because the nutter ended up getting himself captured and had to be ransomed back. As she continued with her screwball of a hubby in 1370, we finally saw a definitive end to the whole Sicilian Neapolitan question. Indeed, it was in this year that, thanks also to the mediation of new Pope Gregory XI, the two kingdoms reached a definitive agreement to go their own separate ways. This status quo would then basically last until the post-Napoleonic restoration period, when the Treaty of Versailles would create the Kingdom of the Two Sicilies. Five years later, in 1375, Joanna's third husband, James the Fruitcake of Mallorca, also popped his clogs. This time around, an older, wiser queen made the right choice and chose Otto of Brunswick as her fourth and last husband. At the age of 60, he was still handsome and brave and would remain loyal to Joanna until the end. Once again, however, he shared her bed, but not 
her crown. It would be really nice to end the story of Queen Joanna of Naples here. Finally, with a good husband and co-ruler, with things more or less under control in her kingdom if you don't consider the brigands and the warlords and whatnot. It would be nice to say she ruled with her Otto until she died of old age. Unfortunately, things would soon be set in motion that would mark her downfall. First of all, we need to remember the big news of the time. That is, that the papacy, after almost 70 years in Avignon, had returned to Rome under the previously mentioned Pope Gregory XI. The trouble started when it came to electing his successor. What came after that is known as the Great Western Schism. We'll get someone in on the podcast to do this part well, but for the moment, let's look at the main steps. The Roman populace demanded that, with the papacy now back in Italy, there should be a Roman or at least an Italian pope, and so the Archbishop of Bari was elected and became Urban VI. There were many cardinals who did not like Urban one little bit, So they retired to the city of Anagni and elected their own pope, Clement VII. So it was that, as is often the case, the great powers took sides. Hungary, England, Portugal and almost all of the Italian states sided with Urban VI. France, Castile, Amedeo d'Aosta and Joanna of Naples sided with Clement VII. The Neapolitans were not happy with this choice and the citizens revolted, but the royal couple were able to get things under control. To punish Joanna, on the 25th of August 1380, Pope Urban VI declared her deposed and in her place he declared Charles of Durazzo, a city in modern-day Albania, as ruler of Naples. Charles was the nephew of the queen and in his youth, He had spent some years at her court as a hostage, a time in which the two had bonded. At the time in which he was made ruler of Naples by Pope Urban VI, Charles was a little busy waging war with Venice, so he wasn't a threat for now. And Joanna sincerely hoped that her beloved nephew would never be one. In any case, one should always hope for the best and prepare for the worst, so Joanna did. In late 1380, Charles did indeed make his way down with a large army lent to him by the King of Hungary, who had never stopped thinking about avenging his brother Andrew, who had been dead now for 35 years. Joanna's loyal husband, Otto, rode out to confront the invading army, but the Hungarians took another route and were able to slip by him, making their way directly to Naples where, as armies will do, they pillaged, raped and killed. Otto would make it back, only to be defeated and captured. Joanna was holed up in Castelnuovo, also known as Maschio Angioino, on the hill in Naples overlooking the harbour. When a mixed group of peasants and nobles came to her gate, 
she was warned not to let them in because there weren't enough provisions for all. She let them in anyway. It became a race against time. A fleet of reinforcements was on its way from Provence. If the supplies could only just hold out long enough. The Queen was forced to surrender on the 26th of August, 1381. She was taken from Castelnuovo on the hill of central Naples down to Castel del Orvo, Egg Castle, of Norman origin, which was supposed to hide a magic egg put there by the poet Virgil. It was probably just called Egg Castle because the original had been egg-shaped. Joanna was then moved around a few more times. Unfortunately, we know that a great threat to an usurping ruler is the fact that the previous ruler is still alive. Joanna, Queen of Naples, was killed in 1382 at the age of 56. She was either suffocated or, to imitate the way she had supposedly had her first husband killed, strangled with a golden rope. Charles of Durazzo was free to be crowned as Charles III of Naples. So ended the life and reign of Joanna of Naples, another woman who dared to rule in a world where power was the privilege of men. Shortly after her death, the fleet from Provence arrived. There was nothing for it to do but turn around and sail back home. Thanks very, very much to everyone for listening. In particular, my lovely Patreon supporters, starting with the second part of the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, and that is Kevin, Mark P, Marxist Leninist Sicilian, Mella, Mike M, Neville Paradise, Patrizia Kappa, Roberta D. Rod L, Rodney N, the Question Master. Haven't had any questions, Rodney, for a bit. Where are you? Rudy F, Sam, Scott L, Sean M, Shelby, Stephen, and Tio5. And, of course, the super tippy-top Maria Montessori and Dante Alighieri level. Paolo, Lisa K, JW, Andrew M, Brandon S, Maxime, David A, Peter W, Kevin O, David L, Renat M and Sen. Thank you, thank you, one and all. Remember, if you are so inclined, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com at the same URL, ahistoryofitaly.com. You can click through to our social media and get in touch, and you can go to the support page and become a patron on Patreon, where you will have access to extra content. You can also have a look at timelines maps, and anything else you may need to navigate our country's complicated history. Once again, thank you very much for listening, and until next time, arrivederci.
Now I am in charge. Times have changed for me, and they will also change for the Neapolitans. I'm sure she sounded absolutely nothing like that. Now I am in... Now I am in charge. Times have changed for me, and they will also change for the Napoleonic. <laughs> Try again. Now, now I am in charge. Times have changed for me, and they will also change for the ne Neapolitans. Neapolitans. Thank you. Sentire media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentiri Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.